All right, in this episode, I'm back with uh, David Howie, my battle buddy. Hi, James Cameron. How you glad, doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be back with you. I'm glad you're back. Today, we're going to be talking about MBTI, uh, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, and how we use it in the intermediate course. I believe the advanced course is now using it as well. They do. They do use the MBTI as well. With this uh, first round of podcasts, I think we're going to try and tie it in with self-awareness and the theme of the week and the first week of the intermediate course is also self-awareness. Do you feel that MBTI is a good instrument in helping us gain self-awareness? I do. I, I, I find it very useful. The, the concept that uh, MBTI offers to, uh, to the students and MBTI is one, is one of the instruments that uh, is, is very common in, in American society Lots of people have heard of it. Lots of people have taken it. And I think the, the value, there's a value in, in, in using it because it's so widely known. So many people have taken it and used it. So it allows folks to speak a common language. Quite often in the intermediate course, probably in the advanced course, if you ask who's taken this instrument before, a large number of people will say they have done it before. And so... It, any, all of the, the instruments that, that we use, MBTI, SDI, TKI, LSI, uh, and even Element B of FIRO, uh, all of those help the individual, the leader, as if, if you want to say that, uh, learn a little bit more about their preferences, how they approach problems, how they solve problems, what their uh, tendencies are mm -hmm. when they're faced with, with certain situations. And all of those instruments, and I know you've talked to other, other folks about the other ones, but they give us kind of a common language where we can communicate about certain things and, uh, and have an understanding of each other. Right. Now, some people from the, the scientific community will critique some of these instruments and saying that, well, it doesn't quite meet the, the academic rigor of, of science. And, and on some of their points, I, I would agree. But what we're using it for, it's basically a framework to where it asks questions, you respond to those questions, and then basically bundles them up to help you um, see how your responses might indicate certain preferences, certain tendencies toward certain behaviors. That's basically the limit of it. At the, it it's not an absolute. It's not a you know, an unchangeable trait. It's a kind of a, a look. Is it, does this describe your operating pattern? And, that, and they are, they are good for that. Um, as far as though trying to make sense of the world by giving everybody one of the, let's say 16 type labels that come out of MBTI, then you've, you're no longer, I, I think within the realm of, of science or what the instrument is intended for. It's just to help provide some sort of framework as to a way that you might operate to help gather some self-awareness in how, I might see myself or see others. Do you agree or disagree? I mean, I, I agree with all that. Um, and to me, these instruments are only as good, and MB, we'll talk about MBTI, it's really only as good as the amount of uh, introspection that the user is willing to put into it, how much they're willing to look at what an instrument is telling them and, and it's whether or not it's accurate for them, how much... Uh, candor they put into responding to the questions. 
I think, and, and I saw an article that uh, one of our colleagues sent out a couple of years ago where someone had uh, published an article that was uh, countering to MBTI, pointing out all the faults. And as I read through the article, what struck me was the faults that were being attributed to MBTI are not actually part of the theory, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So there's also like some misinformation about what the instrument is and what it's supposed to, to be able to tell you. Right. And most people, common knowledge, MBTI uh, gives you uh, a four-letter combination where there's, there's eight different possibilities and you get four of the eight letters and they're broken down into uh, four dichotomies. Uh, basically, it's you have a preference for extroversion or introversion, uh, sensing or intuition, thinking or feeling, or, or perceiving and judging. But basically, of, of those eight, I get four, and that is supposed to help me understand my preferences. When I'm given one of the two pairs, I think the mistake is when we think, when people think, if I've got a preference for extroversion, then that's all I can do, and I'm painted into a box. Mm -hmm. I'm painted into a corner. Or if I have a preference for introversion, then I'm, I'm um, that somehow boxes me in and I can't do any operate outside of that preference. Right. And it, they use MBTI specifically uses the word preference so that people will know that I may have a preference for extroversion or introversion or thinking and feeling, but that doesn't mean that I don't need to use the opposite in, in, the, in whatever that dichotomy is. Right. To me, it's like, if I if somebody has two cars uh, in their garage, they walk out, they're going to go somewhere, they go into the garage, most likely one of the cars they, they go to without thinking. So that's that's their preference. And it's the one that they go to, that, that they automatically go to, and that's the one they drive that day. Um, it doesn't mean they can't drive the other one. It doesn't mean they don't want to drive the other one. It doesn't mean that um, that they're not capable of it. It's just this is the one that they go to automatically without thinking. And that to me is what MBTI is about, is that what behaviors do I go to, what preference uh, do I usually reflect w when I'm not thinking about it, when I'm just kind of reacting in a situation. Okay. Uh, and there's th there may be other, other factors uh, in the situation that will call on me to use uh, the opposite preference. Now, if we could bounce off of that a little bit, uh, do you mind sharing what your MBTI preference is, David? Absolutely not. Mine, mine is ESFP. Say, okay, ESFP. You're going to be somebody who likes to engage with other people. You're probably going to show more empathy and mercy when it comes to your decision-making. Um, the S, you tend to prefer hard, cold facts, probably like checklists and SOPs. And you said your last dichotomy was a P. Yep. And so you're probably pretty flexible. And am I safe in making those assumptions after hearing your MBTI preference? I mean, that's exactly how I see myself. Okay. And so, but, and so, yes, that, and people who work with me probably uh, would say, uh, or even at home, yep, that's, that's pretty much who, who, who he is. Am I 
safe in anybody else who describes them, their preference as ESFP being the same way? Can I make that? Am I safe in making that assumption? You know, I, I, my feeling about that is you'd need to ask each person uh, as an individual because there may be someone out there uh, who has the same preference that I do, and and they may have a different. They may see those dichotomies differently. Right. So, and and that's the thing about this instrument or all these theories is the, then the theory. If I go into the textbook of the theory, it would say what you described as an ESFP is pretty much on target. But I'm not going to tell somebody who who has that, quote-unquote, this is how you're supposed to be. Exactly. Or this is how I expect you to be. Or mm-hmm. in the workplace, I expect you to be the one to always do this or that or that or this right. because of your preference. Or I'm on a hiring panel, and, I, and it's a, for a job that requires extreme attention to detail. So let me go through and get everybody's MBTI preferences because I want a, somebody ending an STJ, an ISTJ or an ESTJ, because from what I've heard, those are the preferences that tend to have the ability to adhere to attention to detail. Is that something the instrument could be used for? And I think no, I think that I think that's a mistake. And I think even the MBTI folks, the folks who own uh, that instrument, discourage it from being used to screen. Uh, and and hire people or or that kind of thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd say we've gone we're taking it too far. It's not that it's it's that it's not reliable enough to where. Well, first of all, humans are complex, and there's more right. than sixteen different types of of personalities. We're looking at four dichotomies. Some of those dichotomies are behaviors that we'd see often in a workplace environment, and it gives us an, a glimpse into our own patterns of behavior or, or another's, and they may or may not be accurate to certain degrees for different people. And what, what I used to tell um, students is to take it for what it's worth for you. If you look, if I look at a, a person, if I look at James Cameron, I, I look at this huge mosaic of, of stained glass of all these different pieces that make you up. And, and somewhere in one little corner, part, part of that is, is your MBTI preferences and that's just one little piece of who you are right. and your experiences, your current life situation, the job that you're in, all that stuff is makes up so much more of the person than just that one uh, uh, MBTI score. But it's useful, it, and it's useful. I find it useful for me, and I encourage others to consider it in that what it helps me do is realize that in a situation – I am most likely to follow my preferences. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the right thing for the situation based on the conditions, and sometimes it is not. And so I have to recognize, is this a situation where it's helpful for me to uh, use my preferences the way I normally like to, or is this a situation where I kind of have to check myself a little bit and maybe consider different behavior. And that's on me to, to make that determination. Right. On one end of the spectrum, we may have, let's say, a horoscope. Um, there was a famous experiment done by a doctor with the last name Four, F-O-R-E-R, and it's now known as the Four Effect, where he created a pers- personality assessment for his students. I think he was a professor of psychology. And basically all of his students got the same one based on horoscopes. And when they opened their envelope, most of them agreed that it was accurate. Now, 
that's one end of the spectrum where we just take random, flattering, general things that could be true about anybody. And on the other end, you've got, let's say, a DNA sequence, which is rooted in hard sciences to how a person may be. I'd say MBTI is, is somewhere in between. It's, it's, it's definitely better than horoscope, but you can't take it as a DNA sequence. Okay, this is exactly how all these people will be always or how this will uh, tend to present itself in, in the workplace or at home. Uh, and absolutely. And I, I'll just tell you that uh, MBTI, I, I believe the language says um, that it is, it is shaped largely by genetics and, and that your first formative years uh, when you're a child also affect what your preferences are. Well, I think Carl Jung, who started it back in the 1800s, it was a Swiss psychologist. I think that was his premise was that there are certain innate preferences right. that we're born with. What I think some of the, if I, if I could just play devil's advocate for a moment, I, from the science perspective, I'd say that I don't think that's been conclusive yet in any studies or that I've seen. I think that's one of the things, but it is an interesting premise, but. Well, I was just going to say it. And I actually like the way that um, the SDI theory lays out the, the, the question of whether it's, uh, nature, whether you're born like you are or whether your formative years cause you to be who you are. And essentially, there, there's a book that we have in the classroom written by uh, Tim Scudder, who's the SDI uh, guru. And basically, their take is that it's it's an irrelevant dichotomy. Right. Because you are who you are. And you get to a point in your life where you you have a certain personality, a certain set of preferences and whether you were born with it or whether it was socialized into you uh, in your childhood according to them it's, it's irrelevant so we take we take every person as they come uh, in the workplace in the classroom and we take them just as they are they may have some preferences and it may line up with the theory they may take exception to it well i think that's been one of the Great points of discourse throughout the history of the field of psychology is how much of who we are is it nature versus nurture? Is it are we products of our environment or are we products of our genetics? And I think that the conclusion is that we're combinations of both. Right now, going back to the argument that you said, Tim Scudder, the I think he's the president of SDI, the Strengths Deployment Inventory. I just to play devil's advocate, I would say, well, to me, it might be important because then I could know what I could change. What what lies within my realm of choice? If there is something in me, let's say the color of my hair, I, I can't change that by changing behavior or thought patterns. It's I could go out and physically alter it. But uh, but other things that are traits versus if I have a tendency, let's say, to to think with the heart versus think with the head. Is that something that can can be changed. I, I think that's where the implications may lie, but maybe I'm mistaken in, in, in seeing that's where maybe the, what, what, whether it's nature or nurture may matter. I don't know. And, and I can see that argument. I've heard people say that uh, these instruments are, that life, life is the process of finding out who we truly are. And so we take these instruments and they show us something and then we ask ourselves, is that really me? Is that really how, what makes me happy? Mm -hmm. And um, so we're, we're kind of treading water and, and we want to figure out how to not tread water, but, but have a hundred thousand dollar yacht underneath us in right. our lives. I know for me, I took, we had a colleague 
that I was in the Army with back in the, the mid-1980s, and I, I didn't even know this. And we had taken the MBTI back then. I was like 23 years old. Mm-hmm. He kept the results of, of all the uh, people in our battalion that took it. And three of my letters were different back then. So what does that say about the theory saying that these preferences don't change, that we are who we are? Well, the, the way I look at it, that environment that I was in, uh, it was a combat arms unit. It was very structured, very orderly. There wasn't a lot of, uh, it, it wasn't a friendly environment. It was kind of brutal. Okay. You get your job done, you go to the range, you shoot, you know, you get your stuff fixed, you come in, you do PT at this time. And so I I can see how me being in that environment affected the way I answered the questions. Because when I look back on uh, those preferences now, today, I can look back and say, I don't believe that those were my actual preferences. Right. I think my actual preferences are closer to the ones that you and I just talked about. Mm-hmm. And so the question isn't, did my preferences change, but did the conditions that I'm living and working in, uh, were they so uh, contrary to maybe my current preference, my true preferences that they caused me to misreport? Okay. Well, I think when we give the instrument That's pretty out, deep, isn't it? That's deep. All right. Keep when, going. When the instrument is, is given out, that's passive voice, isn't it? I'll take heed for that later. When the instrument is given out, inside joke, what the instructions are to your mindset should be that you're in shoes off self, kick back on your lazy boy with your favorite beverage. You're not at work. You're not in that battalion where it was high stress, no fail environment, but our happy place, what we would prefer to do. Let's say we had the option to live alone on our, what choices would we make in the absence of the consequences? I I think is is the state of mind that you're asked to be in. So a question may on the instrument may sound something like, would you rather go to a party with lots of people or would you rather stay home and read a book? And depending on your state of mind, you could answer that question uh, different ways. At work, you may be required to be delivering a lot of presentations and in our jobs as instructors, there's a requirement to engage people. And so you may be thinking at work, well, yeah, I, I need to be in front of people all the time. I, get, I prefer, but really do you, maybe not necessarily at home. You may prefer quiet time to reflect, read a book away from noise and distractions. And that's how you get your energy back. There's also another, the idea that, that it's a preference that you have, and so you can overdo your own preference. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just give you a perfect example. We said earlier that I have a preference for extroversion, which means I enjoy meeting different people, meeting new people. I'm comfortable in a room of people that I don't that I don't know or that I do know. I, I just like that environment. And I like like when you and I were working in the intermediate course, I'd get excited when new folks were coming into the classroom. But that that e-preference gas tank gives out after a certain period of time because mm-hmm. after about three weeks especially after six months of three weeks i the phrase that i used to use is i get eat out I, I i get to the point where i need time uh, alone or very quiet time mm-hmm. to uh to, to kind of recharge my batteries In the next episode, I continue my conversation with David Howey on each of the MBTI dichotomies and their leadership implications. Because to me, this is the one where leaders get challenged the most. Because if if I'm the thinking leader, 
with a, th- a preference for thinking, yeah, I want to rely back on, on that, what you said. This is what the rules say. And sometimes I, leaders have to be that way. That's next time on the AMSC Podcast. And we welcome your feedback. Please write us at usarmy.lovenworth.tradoc.mbx.amsc-podcast at mail.mail, or you can just write us at amscpodcast at gmail.com.